Good morning. You guys doing all right this morning? It's a good day to be at church. It's Sunday. It's your favorite day. It's my favorite day. It's a good day to be here. My name is Pastor Jake, if you're new. Um, and I'm the lead pastor here, and it's my honor and privilege to teach to you today from the Word of God. And uh, I, I love that you're here today, all of you. You could be anywhere else, but you're here. You could be cozy in bed, but you're here. And so thank you for coming. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts if you want to grab your Bible and head over to the book of Acts. Or if you have a tablet or a phone, you can go to the Version Bible app and click on event and you'll get all of our notes and scriptures from that. Or you can even look at your bulletin and you'll see kind of where we're going. Uh, but today we want to wrap up our six-week series on neighboring. And I'm looking at some of your faces and you're still, you're kind of shocked and you look a little off. Is it the tie? I just want to, is that really throwing you? Uh, because I see some, okay, so just get over it, all right? I'm wearing a tie, and it's just gonna, it's just happening, all right? It's just happening, so it already happened, so don't, okay, now stop interrupting me. We're gonna preach now. We're gonna do this. Um, You can tell that this is gonna be ridiculous. It is the tie, probably, that's got me in this ridiculous mood, but uh, we are gonna wrap up our series on neighboring today. We've been six weeks in this series. This is week six, And then the next two weeks, the last two weeks in October, uh, we'll be talking about an initiative we're launching here at Great Oaks called Kingdom Builders. And so I want you to be a part of that. It's kind of an us thing, kind of a Great Oaks family discussion. And so um, I would love for you to make sure you're here the next two weeks. And if you absolutely have to miss then make sure you get that, um, those two messages online. Uh, But this message series, the neighboring series, it's been a good one, right? Have you guys enjoyed it? Um, Okay, good. I just, uh, I was like, man, this, I'm out. All right. Should I just walk off? Okay. Um, mic drop. See you later. I can't drop a face mic. Anyways. So neighboring series has been really, really good. Uh, I think I've heard a lot of good things and it's challenged me as I've studied for it and preached these messages. And uh, we've been using a couple of books, uh, some content from some books, uh, one called Neighboring Church and one called, um, the Art of Neighboring, and uh, if you want to take this further, if you want to, you know, not stop with week six, but keep going and go deeper and learn kind of more what it means to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, then grab those books from Amazon or wherever. I, I highly recommend those. And the premise we've been coming back to week in and week out is this. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't being metaphorical or symbolic. He wasn't being even lofty. He wasn't being cute or cliche-ish, right? He was being literal. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was talking about your actual neighbors because Acts 17 tells us that God is the one who decided when you are and where you are, right? He decided the time of your life and he decided the, the allotted geographical dwelling place is what is what Acts 17 says, the where. So the when and the where were decided by God. God has sovereignly and providentially placed you right here with the neighbors you have because you are called as a Christ follower to to carry the message of reconciliation to your neighbors, the message that they can be reconciled to a God who loves them, right? And so this whole thing is about your actual neighbors. And we've talked about the great commandment. It shows up in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 10, 
And we talked about this great commandment that, that Jesus said, love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on these two commands, the whole of the law and the prophets, the scriptures, hang. So they hang on these two commands. You can't stop at loving God. If you really love God, it always ends up in a love for your neighbor. Always. Love always goes next door. And so Jesus gave us this blueprint. He is a genius, and he gave us this blueprint. He said the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, uh, teach them to obey my commands, do all of that, make disciples, and that's the goal, that's the big thing, that's the mission. But he said accomplish the Great Commission by following the Great Commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples, one neighbor at a time. We're supposed to be Jesus followers who make Jesus followers one neighbor at a time. So we talked about motives and excuses. We've talked about rewards. We, last week, we talked about plans, getting serious and planning how we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I'm, I'm loving all the, the neighboring stories that I'm hearing from life group leaders um, like this story of a 25-year-old man who was introduced to his 75-year-old neighbor at a restaurant. And uh, instead of just saying hi and keeping on going, he sat down and he had a conversation that lasted over an hour because he's been challenged to love his neighbor as himself. Or this one about a guy who was gung-ho about throwing a, a block party for his neighborhood. And he, he was at the grocery store and he talked to one of his neighbors about it, saw one of his neighbors and told him his idea. And the neighbor, who's not a Great Oaks person, said, I love that idea, let's do it at my house. And so now we've got non-Great Oaks people neighboring like God wants them to neighbor, right? Isn't, isn't that pretty exciting? And so our influence is even growing. And then there's the... The couple who just loves to one-up me. You know those people? They just like are always like, you're like, man, I'm so stuffed. I ate two corn dogs. And they grab a corn dog and eat it really fast. Like, I ate three. <laughs> right? They just love to one-up. That's the way they are. Well, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, they, they told me this, that, you know, from the beginning in our series, we've been talking about the eight neighbors that are around you, loving your eight neighbors closest to your house like God loves you, um, loving them as yourself. And so they told me, hey, we're going to do a block party. We've invited um, our neighbors, but just so you know, we invited nine. Just to, just to one up. And so it's like, all right. Uh, they had great responses from that. And I think the block party is maybe this week. Uh, and so you could be praying for that. Uh, but you've been taking this seriously, and this is just a few of the stories. I've heard ton, tons of stories uh, about this, and it's, it's been really good about you reaching out, and I love it. So the whole bent of this series has been on you and your family getting serious about building gospel-centered relationships with your neighbors. Not just one or two, but like I said, we've been talking about the eight neighbors that live closest to yours, your house. And, and if we really did that, if we just did that one thing, we loved our neighbors as ourselves, our actual neighbors as ourselves, um, our neighborhoods and our community would be dramatically changed for Christ, wouldn't it? Um, but today, I, I want to take this a step further, and I want to talk to you about what it would mean for us collectively as Great Oaks to be a neighboring church, to not just take the command of Jesus serious individually, but to do so collectively, to become a neighboring church. What would that look like? Think of, the, think of it this way. If the local church is an oak tree, 
If great oaks is an oak tree, what we've been talking about so far in this series is the tree producing acorns. That's what we've been talking about. As you go out and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're producing acorns. As lost neighbors give their lives over to Christ, we're talking about acorns. And that's good because an oak tree that doesn't produce acorns is sick, right? Is diseased. And so we're supposed to do this. This is good. If the church is an an oak tree, we want to produce acorns. But what is the true fruit of an oak tree? It's not acorns. It's another oak tree, right? The true fruit of an oak tree is not acorns. It's another oak tree. If, if we neighbor really well individually, we produce a lot of acorns. But it's something different to produce an oak tree. It's something even different than that to produce an oak grove or an oak orchard. It's different. Being a church of individual neighboring people is vital, It's important. We have to be neighboring individuals. That's Jesus' plan for every Jesus follower. Love your actual neighbor as yourself. Reach them. But I think we have to be a neighboring church too. Here's what I mean. I know some of you come from other communities and towns um, than Germantown Hills and Metamora, and that's awesome. Uh, But we did a survey a couple months back asking where everybody's coming from. Do you remember that survey? And if you don't, you skip church the wrong three or four weeks, and you messed up our survey. Congratulations. Um, But we did a survey, and what we found was that 73% of people coming to Great Oaks regularly uh, come from Germantown Hills and Metamora, come from those areas. 73% of our families come from this territory. The rest of you come from 13 towns near this one, the farthest being Toluca and the closest being Washington. And if we looked at the people we can reach right now, our community, people within a a reasonable driving distance, like like you look at your property around your house, like your front yard and your backyard and your house, and you're looking at your property and where your property ends and your neighbors begins. If we look at our area that we can have a real impact, like you look at your property, if we were to call that our territory, Not in that we own it, although taking some ownership wouldn't be a bad thing, right? If we were to call that our territory, not not in that no other churches, next slide. (laughs) If we were to call this our territory, um, not in that uh, we don't want any other churches here because that's ridiculous, right? Not in that we're the only church that can do this because that... It's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of people who need Jesus. This is not a competition sport, and we need all the help we can get. Amen? Okay. All right. Uh, so this is our territory. If we would call this our territory, don't hear what I'm not saying about that, but if this is where we're really effective, if this is where we reach people, as opposed to two states over or 100 miles away, or even a 20-minute drive, because statistics say that a lost person is not likely to drive more than 20 minutes uh, to go to church for the first time. And so even 20 minutes away, if this is our territory, if we call this our territory, this is where we can have the most impact right now. This is where God has placed us. God has placed us here, not in Chicago or Oregon or Florida. He placed us here right now along with other Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. This is our territory where God has given us influence. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, so what I want us to think about today is this. If this is our territory, our reach, our property, so to speak, 
what about our neighbors? What about people outside of our territory? And today I'm not talking about people on the other side of the world, although I think that's definitely in this. Today I'm talking about our neighboring communities, our literal, actual neighboring communities. What, like what about the 17,000 people in Washington? What about the 23,000 people in East Peoria? What about the 7,000 in Bartonville? Or the 115,000 in Peoria proper? And this is just a few. There are a lot more. Roanoke, El Paso, Morton, Pekin, tons more. Now, do these churches, or do these areas, these communities, not have Bible-believing churches? Of course they have some Bible-believing churches, right? Absolutely. But just like some of your neighbors are Jesus followers and some aren't, so it is in these communities. Tons of people who don't go to church, who aren't Christ followers, who aren't Jesus followers, and tons that are. But we would say easily, no question about it, that there's more people who don't follow Jesus in these communities than that are, right? There's more lost, more lost than, pe- lost than people who are, are following Jesus. Plenty of people far from God in these communities to reach. And listen, beloved, I want you to hear my heart in this. I want you to understand my drive as your pastor. These, these numbers, they're not just numbers. These numbers are people, right? They're, they're people, college students, moms, dads third graders, grandparents, middle school and high school students who need Jesus just as much as the people in our territory need Jesus. They are as hopeless without Christ as you and I are. We're talking about people, husbands and wives, struggling with their marriage because they have yet to put Christ at the center. High schoolers who have yet to put to turn their life compass towards Jesus because they haven't had the message of the gospel explained to them in a way that they can understand and respond to. Single moms struggling, families in need of Christian community. These are people. And God has called us to this place right here, sure, but just like he's not only called you to your property or your family, but he's called you also to your neighbors, so has he called us to reach our neighboring communities as well. Numbers matter to God because people matter to God. The book of Acts is... One of, if not my favorite book in the Bible to study, it's written by the gospel writer Luke. So it's really Luke part two. Um, it's the same writer, and he writes them both. And, but as you study Acts, um, you'll notice numbers mentioned a lot, and a lot of math words in Acts are mentioned. And I don't think it's by accident. Let me, let me show you what I mean. In Acts 2, the disciples in Acts 2 um, are up in the upper room. And they're scared. They don't know what to do. Jesus has risen and ascended into heaven. They don't understand exactly what's going on. And Jesus has said, go, go, go. Go make disciples. Go reach people, but wait, right? Go, but wait. And it was kind of confusing, but the disciples did what they were supposed to do. They waited. Jesus was saying, I want you to reach the world, but you can't do it without the help of the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, right? You have to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts 
in the beginning of Acts, it happens. The Holy Spirit comes onto uh, the apostles and the disciples up in the upper room. And, and the Bible says that uh, a sound of a mighty wind is heard and there are tongues of fire above each of their heads. And, and the Holy Spirit shows up and fills them. And, and all of a sudden, they begin to prophesy and begin to speak in tongues. And not only that, but they turn from like frightened, weak mice or kittens to lions courageous and mighty and bold and they step out of the house there and they go downstairs and they step out of the house and it's Pentecost so there's people everywhere and the apostle Peter begins to preach and he he doesn't hold any punches he starts with you guys crucified the Messiah good job and then he says but you can repent and you can be forgiven and you can still follow Jesus he's the Messiah And as he preaches this powerful message, everybody who was there, they hear it in their own language and it just kind of freaks them out. And then read this with me, Acts 2, verse 41. After all that, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were saved that first day in Acts 2, and, and it was numbers. Numbers matter to God. 3,000 people, numbers. And then it says that the first church, they devoted themselves to each other, helping each other, fellowship, breaking of bread, taking communion, and also uh, studying the word of God. And, and they did this, and then it says this in, in verse 47 in Acts 2. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then after that, there are signs and wonders. People are healed. Uh, the gospel is preached. And there's just, just this explosion of the message of the gospel going around Jerusalem right there. And it's happening and, and it's great. But then also there's this persecution. The apostles and believers are persecuted and it heats up in Jerusalem and people are being jailed and beaten. And there's all this persecution. But the, the first church believers, they, they don't shrink back. They pray instead for boldness. They pray that God would give them the boldness to step out and speak the truth. And then it it says this in verse 14 of chapter five. And more than ever, believers, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So every step of the way, we're adding to the believers. Numbers, God cares about numbers. Numbers matter to God because numbers are people. Believers are added to the Lord. And then something interesting happens in Acts 6. Check it out with me. In Acts 6, there's kind of a shift. It's verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples, what? Multiplied. Everybody say multiplied. They multiply greatly in where? Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Now it's not addition anymore. It starts to be multiplication. And then as we read Acts, the the Stephen, the persecution is, it kind of ramps up. The, The heat is on the believers. And Stephen, a man full of faith, is stoned. And I don't mean like recreationally speaking. It's a different kind of stoned. Okay. So he's stoned and it picks up and people scatter and it gets scary. 
Things heat up in Jerusalem. And then Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, he gets involved and he starts to prepare to carry the gospel to non-Jews, Gentiles like you and me. And, and then look at Acts 9, verse 31. It says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? Multiplied. It multiplied. So listen, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, you can tell. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but even I know that if you want more, multiplication is better than addition, right? Like, if there's 10 of us and we add 10 people to our group, that's 20. With me so far? We add 10, that's 20. But if we each add 10, if we each go and get 10 to come back to our group, that's 100, right? 10 times 10 is 100. Not math people? Okay, I can tell. Um, you're like writing it down. Like, hold on, professor. <laughs> Let me write this down. 10, 10, 10, 10, okay? Um, just trust me, multiplication is better if you want more, all right? The shift from addition to multiplication in the book of Acts, it's a big deal. And listen, when it comes to people following Christ, when it comes to people following Christ, more is better than less. Can we agree on that? That when it comes to people following Christ, more is better than less. Now, let me just pause there for a second, because in church we're like, yeah, more, yeah, sure, more is better than less. But there are a lot of Christians who would say yes to that, but don't live their life in a way that more Jesus followers is better than less, right? In our culture, to say that more Jesus followers is better than less, meaning that I want to tell everybody about Jesus and they want to, I want them to become Jesus followers, that's, that's not a truth that our culture accepts, right? Our culture accepts the truth that their truth is, hey, you be a Jesus follower, you do your thing, but leave these people alone, right? And leave these other people alone. Your own belief, be sincere. So think about that for a second. If, you, if we all lived by that truth that more Jesus followers is better than less, then I think things would change. But we're not talking about more in a building or more in a spreadsheet. I want you to hear this. We're not talking about going shallow or compromising the truth of the gospel in order to get people into these seats so that we can kind of pat our numbers and pat ourselves on the back and they don't change. They don't, aren't transformed by the gospel. We're not talking about that. We're talking about believers, Jesus followers, more Jesus followers. That's better than less, Right? To God, to Luke, writing the book of Acts, that seems to be the case. So the church in Jerusalem, the oak tree in Jerusalem was doing a good job of adding disciples, wasn't it? Acorns. It's growing and growing and growing, but it wasn't until the church left Jerusalem that there was a shift and it began to really multiply and reach out into the towns and the communities around it acorns to other oak trees to an oak orchard and it's it's not just that they go into different cities or neighboring communities but they go to different cultures too right because up until acts 10 everybody thought this was a jewish thing 
Up until Acts 10, everybody believed that Jesus had come, the Messiah had come for the Jews only. But then God kind of intervenes and he sends a vision to the apostle Peter who's leading a lot of this. And he says, no, you need to include the Gentiles. And he sends him to a guy's house whose name is Cornelius, right? And Cornelius hears the gospel response. His family, his household all give their lives over to Jesus. And the first non-Jews begin following Jesus. And then this whole thing just explodes. It just explodes. Look at um, chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. The Gentiles are included, and then this happens. Now those who were scattered because of persecution, they were left Jerusalem. They were scattered because of what? Okay, we're going to try again. Now those who were scattered because of persecution. So they were scattered. They left Jerusalem. See, I did that exactly the same. I even moved the same way. They scattered, they left Jerusalem because of persecution. That's interesting. That arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them, challenged them, encouraged them, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So now there's some serious multiplication happening in the book of Acts. The church was just one oak tree, the Jerusalem oak tree. And then God allows persecution. And all of a sudden, we've got acorns being planted all over the place. Oak trees, new churches starting to spring up. Multiplication. And Paul and Barnabas, they stay in Antioch to nurture this new oak tree, this new church. And then check this out. In chapter 13, Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Skip to verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So what started with addition in Jerusalem became multiplication as multiple churches are started, multiple oak trees spring up. And now you've got one of those oak trees that was planted by the church in Jerusalem planting its own oak tree. So this is third generation here. Barnabas and Paul are not sent from Jerusalem. They're sent from Antioch, right? This is third generation as they go out and they begin to preach the gospel. And as we all know from there, the Apostle Paul just begins to travel from neighboring community to neighboring community. And he's just leaving oak trees in his wake, right? Church after church after church is planted and he begins to circle back around and and disciple them. And there's this multiplication. And eventually this movement of the Apostle Paul, these missionary journeys, this this acorn planting, oak tree planting movement hits a place called Corinth. 
And Corinth just goes wild. They just go crazy for this idea that they're supposed to be a reproducing multiple, multiplication type church, multiplying church. And they start to just plant oak trees all over the place. That's Acts 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19. The oak tree in Jerusalem becomes not, not just full of acorns, but it becomes this massive oak orchard that, listen, ends up spanning the globe, right, to us here. There's no way we're here if the Jerusalem church stays in Jerusalem. The movement spans the entire globe. So, what is the true fruit of a church? Not a disciple, not even a disciple maker. Those are vital. Those are vital. Those have to be happening for a church to be a church. But the true fruit of, fruit of a church is a disciple-making church, right? Another oak tree in another community. That's what it means to be a neighboring church, a multiplying church. That's what it means to be a church. Listen, God is serious about the church reproducing itself, God is very serious about this. Remember, the only way they left Jerusalem is because God allowed persecution so that they would leave and go and plant other oak trees, other churches, other places. God allowed that persecution to happen. He's serious about the church reproducing itself. These days, if a church stays maintenance-oriented and inward-focused too long, what tends to happen is a church split. And what is a church split if not forced multiplication? God is serious about his church being a reproducing church. He's serious about the great commandment to reach our neighbors and the great commission to rescue the world. Listen, a church is not the church if it doesn't seek to reproduce itself. A church is not the church if it doesn't seek to reproduce itself. It's just not. Because this was the plan from the beginning, right? I mean, we've gone through a bunch of chapters in Acts and we've seen it play out, but wasn't this the plan from day one? I mean, look back at Acts 1, verse 8. Isn't this what Jesus said? He goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, start there. That was their territory. That was where they were. Start with Jerusalem. Become an oak tree yourself. Produce acorns, but don't stop there. Span out into Judea and Samaria. Plant more oak trees in neighboring communities. The the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself Jesus is going, this is not just individual. This is not just about families next to you. This is about the church. Do not, church, forsake your neighbors, the communities right next to you. I placed you there for a reason. Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, eventually the world. One community at a time. One church at a time, one oak tree at a time. So, how do we do this? I mean, here we are, right? This is us. 
how, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we reach out to, to the lost people in our neighboring communities? How do we become a multiplying church that gets influence and impact in lives that right now we have no influence and no impact in? I've got a couple things here for you to consider and to discuss with your life group tonight. The first one, you can't be a multiplying church if you're not a multiplying Christian. You can't be a multiplying church if you're not a multiplying Christian. So I don't want us to miss the individual part here. It has to be both. We have to continue neighboring here. It's not just something we talk about once. It's not just something we talk about for six weeks and then we're like, hey, remember that time we did that neighboring series? Yeah, we were awesome at that. We took cookies. We had our neighbors over. Yeah, what have we done since then? Well, two years, we've never even thought about them. We haven't talked to them and we forgot their names. Like that's not what we're hoping for. When I preach this series, I'm talking about a lifestyle change. I'm talking about changing the way you live so that you can accomplish the great commandment. This is a forever commitment to love your actual neighbor as yourself. And listen, when we talk about loving our neighboring communities as ourselves, when we talk about being a neighboring church or a multiplying church, inherent in that is that we are a healthy church. We want to reproduce health right? We don't want to reproduce an unhealthy something. Does that make sense? Like if, you, if you're unhealthy as a church, we don't want to make an unhealthy church somewhere else. That doesn't make any sense. And so we can't be a healthy church if we're full of Sunday-only marginal Christians who show up to kind of check something off their list and get out of town. That's not healthy, This is not either or. This is both and. The the, the one feeds into the other. If we're going to be a multiplying church, which is, in my opinion, the only kind of church there really is, then we have to be a multiplying people. This has to start from the ground up. It has to be our DNA. Listen, the disciples, think about this. The disciples in the beginning of Acts, they don't know what the church is, right? They got a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, Jesus kept saying over and over and over, the church, the church, the church. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And the disciples were like, what's a church? Rabbi, what what is a church? Right? I mean, they've got no context for this whatsoever. A lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And so when they begin to preach, when they begin to, they're not looking to to make churches. Like when Peter steps out of the upper room and he starts to preach in power and boldness, he's not trying to establish a church. He's not trying to plant a church. He's trying to win disciples, right? He's not trying to make a church. He's trying to make disciples in that moment. The church kind of just happens after that. When the the church, the early church, spanned the gap between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, so that it eventually would come to us, you and me, who most of us are non-Jews in this, when it spanned that gap, it didn't happen because they planted a church in a Gentile area. How did it happen? It happened by one guy, the Apostle Peter, going to another guy's house, Cornelius, and making not a church, but a disciple disciple, a believer, right? Yeah. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house and we're doing this one disciple at a time. The church in Acts grows one disciple at a time to where it can multiply itself, one neighbor at a time. 
one neighboring community at a time. Remember, church is not just something you go to on Sunday mornings. It's who you are all days, right? It's not something that you go to on Sundays. It's who you are all days. Here's another thing. Number two, we can't be a multiplying church if we're not a praying church. We can't be a multiplying church if we're not a praying church. Uh, Listen, pray about this. Pray not just for your neighbors, but your neighboring communities, neighboring towns, neighboring cities, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's the blueprint. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray for our leaders, for support and wisdom and timing, for faith that we wouldn't doubt so much and and maybe look at numbers too much to where we wouldn't just risk it all for the kingdom of God. Pray for faith to do what God wants us to do. Pray for boldness. In Acts 4, Peter and John get arrested. They're thrown in jail. They're beaten, and then they're finally released, and they, they get out, and they go to the little small band of believers they're working with, and they, they tell them the story, what happened, and the, the believers say, well, we got to pray. And what happens next, if it was us, what, ha- what would be recorded in Acts 4 is a prayer about God taking persecution away. That would be our prayer. God, please help Peter and John not have to go back to jail. Lord, please take the pain away. Lord, help us to to reach everybody, but can you just work the governmental system to where they're on our side? God, take away the obstacle, right? That's how we would pray, but that's not how they prayed. Look at Acts 4, starting in verse 27. It says, they're praying, and they say, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Listen to this next part. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying all the persecution that we are experiencing to this point, we trust you with that. If you want us to keep being persecuted, we trust that this is your predestined plan for your church. We're not asking that you take it away. We're saying, we trust you. We're singing that song, you are good, you are good, you are good, in the midst of the worst of times, right? And look at their prayer at the end. Now, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. Isn't that weird? Like they already had boldness, Right? Boldness had gotten them beaten and thrown in prison. Boldness was getting them killed. But they prayed, God, give us more boldness to speak your truth. Pray. Please pray. We can't be a multiplying church if we're not a praying church. Here's another one to think about, number three. We can't be a multiplying church if we're not a giving church. Reaching out to our neighboring communities, reproducing ourselves there, planting oak trees that plant oak trees. Listen, that ain't cheap. Being the church like God expects us to be takes you and me, sacrificing what God has given us for his mission, for the mission of God to win back the world through his son, Jesus Christ. It takes us giving generously. If you look back in Acts, you'll see in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 20, in other places, at different times where the believers in the new church, in the early church, got together and they said, you can have everything. You can have it all if it means winning people for Jesus. You can have it all. They give everything to the church 
to, to reach people through the church. If we're going to be the church like they were the church, listen, we won't be able to give leftovers to God. We'll have to start giving strategically, setting money aside in our budget, praying and asking God to stretch us, giving our tithe 10% faithfully, not just when it's convenient. We can't be a multiplying church if we're not a giving church. And then the last one I have for you today, number four. We can't be a multiplying church if we're not a going church. Like I mentioned to you before, we believe God has called us to create Great Oaks campuses, to plant Great Oaks oaks, oak trees, sites, campuses, whatever you want to call them in neighboring communities. Our online church campus is the beginning of that. It kind of sets us up for that. And I believe we'll be moving forward with our first physical location outside of this one before too long. But whenever that is, that God leads the leadership here to pull the trigger on that, how do you think we're going to accomplish that? I mean, how do you think we're going to pull that off? We'll accomplish it by some people being willing to go. By some of us being willing to go. Not me, I have to stay here. (laughs) But some of you being willing to go, right? We've got some people in this room today who were willing to go 20 years ago and come to our church, this place, and start afresh and anew and plant this church. We're here because they were willing to go. Are you tracking with me? And so we have to be willing to go. Maybe you come from a neighboring community or a town that we'll plant a campus in. And it'll make sense for you to go to that campus and not this one because it'll help you reach your actual neighbors, your literal neighbors in that community, your own community. Maybe that'll make sense, but maybe you drive like a minute and a half to get here on Sundays. And the Lord is going to speak to you and go, listen, I care about the people in this other community enough to send you there. And you're going to get on board and you're going to say, God wants me to go. I'll give a year. I'll give two years to setting up and tearing down and reaching this community because I believe that God wants us to reach our neighbors, our neighboring communities, people we right now have no influence upon. If that happens, you won't be leaving Great Oaks. It'll all be Great Oaks, but it'll be different, right? It'll be different, and it may cost you something. So you got to be a going church, too. And speaking of cost, you might be wondering, can we afford to do this? Volunteers, leaders, finances, can we afford to do this? After studying the Great Commandment for six straight weeks, looking at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and then today kind of leafing through the book of Acts and watching how the, the church, the early church expanded, my question is, can we really afford not to? Can we really afford not to? I mean, this is God's plan, not our plan. Can we afford to be a church that doesn't reproduce itself? that doesn't neighbor, that isn't sold out to this thing. And don't get me wrong, it'll be difficult, but it'll also be very, very exciting and rewarding and life-changing for people whose lives right now you and I have no impact or influence in. Thousands and thousands. Numbers. 
But numbers matter to God. Moms, dads, third graders, high school students, grandparents, college students, people, people who need Christ. They matter to God. And is there anything too difficult for him? Anything not worth risking so that you could know, so that they can know the God who loves them? I don't think so. I don't think so. So the, the true fruit of an oak tree? Not an acorn. It's another oak tree. It's an oak orchard. So, let's plant some great oak trees. Shall we? See what I did there? Let's pray. Lord, I'm just challenged by your word today. I thank you, God, for your word that is a double-edged sword and cuts to the quick and it's just so powerful. Holy Spirit, thank you for enlightening our hearts to the truth of the gospel and to your truth through your word. I thank you for that, Jesus. I ask, God, that you would help us. Like I remember, Jesus, how when you were teaching here on earth, you would say a lot of times, for those who have ears to hear. Well, right now, I pray for those who don't have ears to hear. Pride or status quo or laziness priorities being out of whack, whatever it is, is getting in the way of them hearing the great mission you've called them to. To be Jesus followers who make Jesus followers. One neighbor at a time, one neighboring community at a time. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see what you want us to see. Open our ears to hear and then give us the faith and the boldness to get up, step out, and to begin to do this thing, to be the church. We trust you in all of that. As we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed and you're just praying, God, what do you want to speak to me today? How do I take this message and turn it into application? How do, what do I do? What do you want me to do today? As you're asking that individually for yourself, we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. I, I just think when we talk about this whole thing of, of being people who neighbor like God wants us to and being a neighboring church, when we do that, we talk about risk. What's it going to cost me? We're talking about leaving the comfort of our homes and getting out and going to a neighbor. We're talking about how we'd rather be at, on the couch at home, but instead we're going to be in the front yard talking to our neighbors. Possibly we're talking about leaving the familiarity of one place of worship and going to a new one in, in order to reach a new group of people. We're talking about risk. Well, Jesus was our example in that. Jesus came from heaven to earth he became our neighborhood. He lived, he became our neighbor. He lived in the neighborhood. He reached out to us. He left heaven, came to earth, lived among us, and then he died for us. He sacrificed his life. He took our punishment on the cross. Everything we deserve for sin and rebellion and imperfection, he took on the cross. 
He loves you that much. He's our example of this whole thing. And maybe today, you haven't yet given your life over to him. We talk about neighboring and we talk about being a multiplying neighboring church, but you've yet to accept him into your life to respond to that great love he showed us in the cross, leaving heaven, coming here, giving his life to respond to that by submitting your life over to Jesus, by giving your life over to him, by serving him. That's where this thing starts. And so I just want to give you a moment, just a quick moment today to make that right in your own heart. Just to pray. Just pray in your own words. You don't need a certain incantation to make this work. You don't need me to lay my hands on you or somebody to have holy water or whatever. You don't need any of that. You just need to be honest before God right now in this moment and just tell him that you need him. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. That's what it says. And so if you want to give your life over to Jesus, you want to submit to him, just say that to him. Just begin to confess that out loud in your own heart, in your own mind. Give your life over to him. And then when you stand up in a moment, I pray that you would look to the person next to you, whoever's sitting next to you, and you would say, I just made a decision for Christ. I'm going to put him first in my life. I want to be transformed by his power. Will you pray for me? And you just begin to walk it out and it becomes a Monday through Saturday thing as much as it is a Sunday morning thing. So don't leave here without taking advantage of this moment to make a decision for Christ. Lord, I pray for those who would decide for you today. I pray against the enemy, the voice of the enemy that would come in and lie and steal the seed away. I pray that the seed of your gospel, your truth, goes deep into every heart in this room and that it creates faith, it it produces fruit. Lord, I pray as I always do that whatever is of you, God, today, let it haunt us, let it stick, stick with us, stay with us, let it not be easily forgotten. But whatever is of me, let it fall to the wayside and be quickly forgotten. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? But here's my prayer for us. May we be a church in the truest sense of the word. May we be an oak tree producing oak trees instead of just acorns. And may we risk it all, comfort, finances, time, energy, for the sake of the seas of lost people living right next to us. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this week. Make sure you come back next week and make sure you go to a life group this week, during the week. Um, If you're not yet plugged into a life group, just talk to the life group leader um, at the Welcome Center on your way out. We would love for you to get plugged in and discuss this with your life group this week. God bless.